Welcome to Women on the Line, Community Radio's national women's current affairs program, produced at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. I'm Beck Zajac. Today is the second instalment of a special Women on the Line series, Australia's Race to Warm the Planet. For anyone out there who's concerned about climate change but hasn't had a chance to look at Australia's particular contribution to global warming, this is a great series for you. In the first episode, I spoke to Felicity from Fight for the Reef campaign about coal mining and specifically the new coal mines being developed in central Queensland, which if they go ahead will almost double Australia's current emissions. Today we'll be moving on to talk about fracking. Fracking is a word that jumped into public consciousness a few years ago with the release of the US film Gasland, which looked at the new world of unconventional gas exploration across America. In particular, a lot of folks were struck by the scenes in the film where Josh Fox, the filmmaker, could light tap water on fire because of the gas within it. What many viewers of that film here in Australia didn't realise was that that same industry is expanding right here across all of our states. Although fracking was initially hailed as being a low emissions alternative to coal, many critics now argue that it could be equally, if not more, of a contributor to climate change, which is how it fits in with this particular series. To tell us all about what fracking is, where it's going on and how it's being resisted, we're joined today by the coordinator of the Lock the Gate Alliance in Victoria, Chloe Aldenhoven. Chloe, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Beck. Maybe before you tell us about fracking, you could outline a little bit about the organisation you come from, Lock the Gate. Sure. Uh, so Lock the Gate is an alliance of communities across Australia who are fighting inappropriate mining projects. So mostly these are unconventional gas projects, shale gas, tight gas or coal seam gas projects, or coal mines. There's been a massive expansion of coal mine proposals across South Wales and Queensland. So you've mentioned already a few terms that we hear a lot, fracking, CSG, hydraulic fracturing, tight gas. What do all these terms mean and what, what actually is this Well, um, coal seam gas, shale gas and tight gas are forms of what we call unconventional gas. So we've been extracting gas for a long time in Australia and around the world and most of the gas that we've extracted from what we call conventional gas deposits. Basically this means that the gas is trapped in the geological formation in a pocket or a bubble and all you have to do to extract that gas is to drill down into that bubble, release the pressure and then the gas will release itself under its pressure. Whereas um, there are lots of other gas deposits that exists in geological layers in Australia that were previously too difficult to extract. They weren't in pockets. They were trapped in the stone in the case of tight gas and shale gas, shale rock or or sandstone, or in the coal seam in the case of coal seam gas. And previously, they were too difficult to extract. You couldn't get a large flow from them and they weren't commercially viable. But in the last few decades, they have put a lot of investment into new technologies, most notably hydraulic fracturing and horizontal drilling. And these new technologies have suddenly made it possible to extract these unconventional gas reserves and have made it financially viable to get that gas. Okay, right. So the new technology is the hydraulic fracturing and the horizontal drilling, and they're getting out the tight gas, the shale gas and the coal seam gas. Yeah, yeah. So what they usually do is they drill down a couple of kilometres, they drill um, horizontally up to a 
couple of kilometres and then they basically um, put down a whole heap of water, sand and chemicals to and they hydraulically ram it. They create essentially a water hammer that cracks open the rocks or cracks open the, the coal seam and uh, allows that gas to travel up the well. And another really important difference between conventional and unconventional gas is that with conventional gas fields, you only need a few wells to be able to produce a commercially viable gas field because there are large amounts of gas in those pockets. But with unconventional gas, you really have to cover a landscape with unconventional gas wells and horizontally drill and frack all of those gas wells in the case of shale gas. So the unconventional gas fields in the US and in Australia uh, have tens to hundreds and sometimes thousands of wells covering the landscape and they have to have that intensity of wells, wells like that every 500 metres in order to be able to extract commercial quantities of gas. Mm-hmm. And um, just to take a step back, what kind of conventional gas drilling went on before? Is that when we talk about natural gas? Is that what conventional gas Yeah, was? yeah. So they um, the, the terms can become slippery as, as the gas companies' PR machines um, do their thing, but yep. previously it was referred to as natural gas. It's the kind of gas that we extract off the Bass Strait um, and that goes through the Longford gas processing facility near sea spray in Gippsland or from um, the Otway Basin Reserves near Port Campbell. And uh, that's the gas that's been supplying us with gas in our homes, gas for the manufacturing industry, um, all, all the gas that we've been using in our energy market on the eastern seaboard to date has been conventional gas. Okay, and so that was done in a few of these locations. Um, yeah, yeah. A few that you've just mentioned. Yes, yeah, so um, because they, there are such large quantities, they you only have to get it from a few locations. And now there's this new technology, which means gas can be accessed through all the... From- yeah, from places that it's never been able to be accessed from before. Okay, and so that gas exists around Australia? Yeah, so there's a whole heap of different places in Australia where it exists. There are huge coal beds across Queensland and New South Wales, and that's why we've seen CSG be such a big issue up there because it's probably the easiest to extract of all the unconventional gases. Mm-hmm. And um, so we've seen this big push for CSG across large swathes of Queensland and New South Wales. Um, In other areas of the country, shale gas and tight gas are a bigger issue. So in Western Victoria, for instance, and over the limestone coast of South Australia, there's a big shale bed there that also has large sandstone deposits on top of that, which contain unconventional gas. And lastly, across the Northern Territory and in Western Australia, there's a massive shale bed that could contain yeah, some of the largest reserves of gas in the world, potentially. They haven't really done extensive exploration to see if that's the case, but there are massive concerns over um, the industry expanding in, in the Northern Territory and Western Australia. Okay, so um, as I mentioned, Gasland was the movie that brought this to public attention. So basically this technology started to expand in the US first, is that right? Yeah, so it really did start to expand in the US first. um, The industry only started about 15 or 20 years ago in the US, but Mm. they've managed to tap into, they they call it coal bed methane there rather than CSG, but coal bed methane fields, shale gas and tight gas across a lot of the states um, in America. So this is the the same process basically that's happening in Australia? Yeah, yes, the same process, the same same horizontal drilling and fracking, mm-hmm. whether it's in coal seam gas fields or shale and type fields. Mm-hmm. 
And the market dynamics in America are different to Australia in an interesting way. Mm-hmm. So fracking, they, they're saying that fracking and this unconventional gas extraction in the US has, called, has caused a renaissance of their manufacturing industry and, and all these other things because they've managed to um, use, use these techniques to extract gas that um, will be used domestically. Whereas in Australia... The reason why we're seeing this expansion in the unconventional gas industry is a whole heap of gas companies decided that they wanted an ex- a gas export industry coming out of Australia. So mm-hmm. they um, built the liquefaction and export facility in Gladstone in Queensland, planning to export the majority of the unconventional gas to the Asian market. And that's why these unconventional gas fields are now lucrative. They, w- they wouldn't have been financially viable. But now that we've been pushed into this bigger market, these unconventional gas fields are now viable. How many years ago did the unconventional gas industry start here in Australia? So we've only we've had um, only had the unconventional gas industry for about 10 years in Australia. Most established gas fields we have are around the Darling Downs in Queensland. So where exactly is that area for people who aren't familiar with it? It's in uh, southeastern Queensland, so it's around Tara and Chinchilla and um, is some of the most productive farmland in Queensland. Mm-hmm. She really has become the epicentre of production of unconventional gas in Queensland. Are the companies who are doing it in Australia the same ones that were doing other kinds of conventional gas drilling before? In some cases, and in some cases they're the same as the companies who have developed unconventional gas fields in America. Okay. And we, we sort of we have a wide range of, of companies involved in unconventional gas extraction in Australia at the moment. Some of them are really small-scale exploration companies and then some of them are, um, are some of the biggest fossil fuel companies in the world. You're listening to Women on the Line on 3CR Community Radio and we're talking to Chloe Aldenhoven from Lock the Gate, an alliance of those concerned about coal and coal seam gas expansion. Today we're talking to Chloe about fracking, which is taking place across the country. And um, we just chatted about the 2010 film Gasland, which explored the practice of fracking and the way it is affecting communities across the US. So now let's enjoy a short break with some music from that film, and then we'll be back with more. process if a company says, okay, there's this possible 
market in Australia we want to go in and frack? Just maybe talk us chronologically through the process of what sure. the company would yeah. do. So they probably find a little bit out about the geological nature of the area, whether we know that there's like a shale deposit there, for instance, or a coal bed. And then uh, usually what happens is the state government will put forward a tender process for exploration licences. So they put out huge swathes of land on what they call acreage releases and take it to, for instance, the APIA, the Australian Petroleum Production and Exploration Association Conference, and call for companies to come in and bid for exploration licence areas. So a company will uh, take on the tender for that exploration licence area and they are then allowed to uh, allowed and actually obliged to do a certain amount of exploration in that area. So they have to spend a certain amount of money um, every year exploring to see what kind of resource is there. Once they find a resource and they want to they want to exploit it, they want to take it to the production phase. They then have to apply apply for a production license, and then they'll be allowed to actually instate a full scale gas field there for um, for gas production. So um, the government puts forward these licenses. They grant the licenses to companies, and then it's up to companies to prove the resource and then apply for a production license. Mm, okay, so it actually starts at the state level with the state saying this is the areas that we think should be drilled. Yeah, yeah, and are you interested in, in doing that? Okay, so how does the state choose these areas, which kind of areas have been put up in various states? Um, well, at the moment, actually, we have about 53% of Australia is either part of this acreage release process or there's an exploration licence over it or there's a production licence over it. And I think that it's as a result of these new technologies and so on that have meant that states have been encouraged to open up as much land as possible for potential exploration. I'm not sure about what the laws are like interstate, but in Victoria, the Resources Minister does reserve the right to exclude any area for an exploration licence or a production licence if they uh, think that there might be various environmental or social consequences of mining that are inappropriate, but we haven't actually seen that happen at all to date on the unconventional gas issue. So can the state put up any land? Like if someone's on that land, they can still put that up for possible exploration? Or Yeah, so the way, um, the, way the uh, mining law works in Australia is you don't own the resources under your land. You own your land to a certain depth, but the state reserves the right to exploit the resources under your land if they think it's in the interests of the state. So what happens in the case of unconventional gas, for instance, is usually a mining company will own an exploration licence or a production licence over your property and they will knock on your door and they'll say, look, we really want access to your property to put down three unconventional gas wells, for instance. This is the kind of compensation that we think is appropriate and we want to organise this compensation agreement with you. And as a landholder, you do have a right to refuse to negotiate, but if you refuse to negotiate, the gas company can take you to VCAT and VCAT will administer a compensation agreement on your behalf. So by going to VCAT, you kind of remove your ability to negotiate in that process. So all of mining law has really been constructed to facilitate mining wherever they can, really. And you can refuse to negotiate, and farmers across Australia now are refusing to negotiate with these gas companies. But ultimately, they do have the power to take you to VCAT, and the VCAT, and VCAT will just create a compensation agreement for you. 
So that's the bit that's really surprising, I think. So basically these farmers own land and the, the state said, well, you know, we've opened this up to exploration and you don't own the resources under your land. So this mining company has a right to basically dig under your land to get this gas. Yeah, that's, that's right. Um, yeah. I think, is that something that may have, that has existed for a long time, but because this technology where they just wanted to drill everywhere didn't exist, it yeah. wasn't a concern? Yeah, I think that's it. For, for a long time, people have been having disputes over this, over mining companies extracting on private land and, and people you know, being disadvantaged or kicked off as a result of mining companies kind of having the right of way in this situation. But it really, it's come to a head because they these new mining projects, they have to get access to the lands of hundreds, if not thousands of landholders if they're going to have a commercially viable project. So we're definitely seeing a lot more people being affected by it and confronted by this part of our mining law. So there's people around Australia who get a knock on the door and they say, we're a mining company and we want to we want to drill here. Yeah, yeah. And so a, a lot of it's going on the Darling Downs area, but in theory it could be happening in all the different states. Uh, yeah, and there's, there's exploration happening in all of the states um, bar Victoria and Tasmania at the moment. So there are, you know, farmers across New South Wales have been approached and there have been thousands of access agreements granted across Australia. I've heard a bit about the moratorium um, in certain states. What what does that mean and why is it going, not going on in Victoria and going on? Yeah, well, I guess um, I, I guess the, this, the movement's really grown across Australia from where the industry started in Queensland. So um, a lot of farmers in New South Wales, the northern rivers of New South Wales especially, saw what was happening in Queensland and knew they didn't want it to happen there. So they took on this idea of locking the gates mm-hmm. and essentially the yellow lock the gate signs that you might see around the place just act as a trespass notice. And people put them on their gate to, to just tell any coal or gas company representative at the gate that they're not interested in negotiating with them. And it's proven a really powerful form of resistance, really because these gas companies, all these coal companies, they have to be the nice guy. It's really important for their public relations that they're not seen to be just railroading farmers and landholders that don't want them there. So they've tended to avoid avoid people who have got the locks of gate signs on their property or who have refused to negotiate and gone elsewhere. So locking your gate in itself can be a really strong form of resistance. But as the communities in New South Wales realised uh, from what was happening in Queensland, it's kind of not enough for you to keep gas wells off your property because a gas well on the property next to you or a gas property a gas well on a property five kilometres down the road could still affect your property and your health and your water supply just as much. So they came up with this idea of declaring communities gas field free and they go through a kind of grassroots democratic process where they survey every single person in the community, um, give them information on the industry, give them information on their right to refuse to negotiate and declare together that they will do whatever it takes to stop the industry coming into their area. And hundreds of communities in New South Wales have been through the process. And in Victoria, we heard about what they were doing in in New South Wales and exploration was at a very early stage here. And so we managed to, a a few communities managed to go through the process and it started to go viral across Victoria. So we actually have 44 communities um, who've declared themselves gas field free in Victoria and um, more every weekend, actually. 
And um, this is really, it's really built a political groundswell because it's not just about refusing to negotiate. People then go on to um, to really put pressure on their local MPs to try and to try and get a decent moratorium or a ban that will really protect the whole state and really put everyone's fears at ease. Mm-hmm. So communities especially put a lot of pressure on uh, nationals MPs in uh, Gippsland and we managed to get just a moratorium just on the process of sacking and only for a year until the um, harmonised national framework came out, which is a regulatory document. But every time they go to list a moratorium, the movement grows in Victoria and we push them harder and harder and um, we now have a moratorium on all onshore gas exploration and um, a, we're going to have a year-long parliamentary inquiry this starting this year. So we know we have the moratorium for about another year, but we don't really know what's going to happen after that. Mm-hmm. Um, but communities certainly aren't going away and the number of communities involved is growing week by week. So um, it really we're getting definitely the same kind of groundswell of social movement that they've managed in New South Wales and we are managing to keep the industry kicked out of the state Mm-hmm. Okay, and um, this series is particularly looking at sort of rising emissions, and I know fracking was held initially as less as a, an alternative to coal that had less emissions. How do mm. emissions from these um, alternative gas compare to coal? Well, to be honest, we're not completely sure. Mm-hmm. Um, not very, not particularly much um, research has been done to date on fugitive emissions, but of the research that has come out, we've seen um, that the problem with unconventional gas fields is that gas leaks everywhere. It leaks from the wells. It le- you've seen those images of the Condamine River bubbling from fissures that have been created through the fracking process or um, possibly have been. And... Um, but there was a Southern Cross University study that happened a couple of years ago that looked at the methane levels around gas fields and found that they were a lot higher than the um, atmospheric background methane levels in areas away from gas fields. So um, we're seeing that there is this, this huge phenomenon of what they call fugitive emissions um, coming out of unconventional gas. So gas, when it is burned in a gas-fired power station, may be lower in its uh, greenhouse gas emissions than coal-fired power stations, for instance. Mm -hmm. But all of these gas fields are leaking methane that has a greenhouse gas warming potential that's 20 times greater than CO2 Mm -hmm. um, over a 20-year period. So it's potentially a massive disaster for climate change if we start letting all this methane leak out of the ground and into the atmosphere because it could have a lot more potent effect on our our atmosphere than even CO2 is at the moment. Mm -hmm. So really, uh, it's... It's really ridiculous to say that we should be expanding this industry when there are so many questions over these things. It's questions over people's health, questions over the impact on underground water, questions over the impact on the climate. When we know that we have a, um, a renewable renewable energy solutions that are just uh, growing in their sophistication by the day, we know we can get baseload power from renewable energy uh, we know that it could create a huge amount of jobs in Australia and instead of encouraging the renewable energy industry, we're subsidising and we're letting our um, gas price triple, if, um, if not quadruple, as a result of this unconventional gas industry that could be hurting us in the long term in all these other ways. Mm-hmm. So the, from an environmental perspective and from the perspective of a hell of a lot of farmers and landholders out there, the answer is really obvious. Mm-hmm. We really need to be looking at renewables and, and leaving this gas in their ground. And so what can people do who are interested in being support that? Yeah, we have a city-based collective. Here in Melbourne, we have a city-based collective through Friends of the Earth in Melbourne. 
So they meet at 6pm every Wednesday at 312 Smith Street in Collingwood, mm-hmm. the Friends of the Earth office there, and really just encourage people to become part of the social movement. There's so many things that you can do. There's, um, if you live in rural areas, there are, um, there are groups across rural areas that, that I working towards getting a ban and we really need as many people to get involved and to grow the social movement as much as we can during this parliamentary inquiry process. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really encourage you to go to the website, which is coalandgasfreevic.org mm-hmm. um, or go to the Friends of the Earth website, which is melbourne.foe.org.au and get in contact with us through those sites and, and we'll be able to help you get involved. Okay, and what about people around the country, not in Melbourne? Um, yeah, around the country, still still go through those those mm. two websites yep. and um, you should be able to find um, a local group through the site that you can get in contact with as well. Yeah. Mm, okay, um, that's fascinating and that was a really great breakdown and a really good introduction for those of us who are learning about this. Thanks so much and, and people now know where to go as well. So thanks very much for joining us, Chloe. No worries. Thanks very much for your time. That was Chloe Aldenhoven, the coordinator of Lock the Gate in Victoria, talking to us about the world of fracking. And that's it for today. Tune in next week for more Women on the Line. I'm going to leave you with a song from Natalie Merchant. Where in hell can you go? Far from the things that you know Far from the sprawl of concrete that keeps crawling its way About a thousand miles a day Take one last look behind Commit this to memory and mind Don't miss this wasteland, this terrible place When you leave Keep your heart off your sleeve Motherland Cradle me Close my eyes, lullaby me to sleep Keep me safe, lie with me Stay beside me, don't go Don't you go Oh, my five and dime queen Tell me what have you seen Lost and the avarice The bottomless, the cavernous green Is that what you see, oh, motherland? Cradle me, close my eyes, lullaby me to sleep. Keep me safe, lie with me, stay beside me, don't go. It's your happiness. Most of all And for that I'd do anything at all Oh, mercy me If you want the best of it 
or the most of all If there's anything I can do at all Women on the Line is Community Radio's National Women's Current Affairs Programme. It's produced and presented by a range of women broadcasters from 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. We greatly appreciate the financial support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. We welcome your comments or thoughts on today's show, so send us an email at womenonthelineline at hotmail.com. Women on the Line programs can be downloaded from our website, womenontheline.org.au. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.